Good to see you guys this morning. <clears throat> no, all of them, not most of them, Megan. All, it's good to see all of you this morning. She said some of you, but I say all of you. Okay. Um, I'm really been, uh, I've really been enjoying this series on 1 John. I'm learning a lot myself as I go through it, and I hope it's been a blessing to you too. Uh, my name's Joe Davis. I'm the pastor here at Grace Life. We're continuing this series. We're calling it So Our Joy is Complete. The idea behind it is as we further our understanding of what 1 John teaches us, we can expand the type of joy that we can have as children of God. <clears throat> and uh, this week, the message is called Killing Doubt. So when I was young, a young believer, uh, I remember constantly struggling with doubt in my faith. Because frankly, as a pastor, I can tell you doubt is one of the most recurring issues that Christ followers must deal with. The catalysts for doubt can be many. There are many things in the world around us that cause us to doubt whether or not we are connected to Heavenly Dad. Sometimes it's really bad teaching can cause it. Sometimes it's personal struggles that we go through, a hardship or a crisis that make us doubt, is God really even there? But the problem is, how can our joy really be full if we are constantly battling with this cancer called doubt? And frankly, what is the best way for us as Christians, people who love Christ, what is the best way for us to overcome chronic doubt about whether or not we're connected to Heavenly Dad and His people? That's the passage we're looking at today. So I'm going to read from 1 John chapter 3. This is the last part of chapter 3 before we go into chapter 4. Uh, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. This is connected to everything he has said in, verse, in chapters 1 through 3 so far. Right here, this by this. It is a, basically a culminating verse. He says, of all the things I have taught you, This is how you know, and you can reassure your heart before him. Verse 20, and I'll mention this a little bit later, but the word for actually doesn't have to be and shouldn't be in the translation. I don't want to go into all of that today, but for now I'll read it as it's translated in English Standard Version. But in your mind, take the word for out just for a minute. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we will receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So we going to look at the historical part of this passage. What about man? What was going on? What's happening? And there was, as we have talked about before, some of this is review, but there was definitely an epidemic of doubt among those churches that John is writing to. There were seeds of doubt that had been sown by the Gnostic teachers, the false teachers. And we know that these believers had been beaten down, maligned by self-righteous, arrogant people that constantly told them they weren't really connected to God. They weren't smart enough. They didn't have the higher knowledge necessary. And they were just kind of floundering around this Jesus stuff that you're embracing. This idea of the gospel and the resurrection is silliness. You're not really connected like we are. We have this higher knowledge. So these arrogant teachers had kind of really 
malign them. But what John does for nearly three chapters is he gives evidence of life. He has been filling the hearts of his flock with affirmation. Remember a while ago we talked about the song that he wrote? He inserted it right in chapter 2. He's been laying out the reasons why he knows as their shepherd, as their pastor, he lays out the reasons why he knows they are connected to Heavenly Dad, even if they are doubting. He says, I'm writing these things because I know you're connected to the Father. I'm writing these things because I know you're children of God. I'm writing these things because I see these evidences in your life. So let's go through what some of them were. We've talked about them in the last uh, 10 or 11 passages that, or messages that we've talked about, and I put them up here just to go through. He talked about early on that, that Christians find joy of confession. Their willingness to confess sinfulness is key to knowing you are a child of God. If you don't see that you're sinful, then there's no way that you can in, embrace Christ because you don't see a need for it. He talked about the fact that we have an advocate for righteousness, and he taught that Jesus is a two-way advocate, if you remember that. Yes, he's advocating to God saying, Look at, look at me, I'm righteous and see my righteousness as theirs. But then he's also advocating to us, I want you to be more like me, be more righteous. And John talks about the fact that he has confidence in our advocate for righteousness, both ways. He talks about the fact that these ancient truths create a transformation and a new life that we call fresh love. He talks about the fact that their faith is evidenced by their desire for righteousness. We call that one proof in the pudding. It says the fact is you desire, even though you might fail and struggle, you have a desire to be righteous. He talks about the fact that they won't leave. He says others have left you. They've abandoned the faith. They have gone away, but you have stayed. The fact that you are still here shows that you are connected to God and his people. He explains to them, you are grace experts, especially in how you interact and show grace to others. Other people need grace, and the people that understand and know grace the best are those whom, to whom it has been given by God's sovereign love and power. And you have become experts in grace. It's an evidence that you are a child of God. Then he talked about, and this is the one where a lot of you cried because of those soldiers returning home videos that we had. Those were pretty powerful. He says, you're ready for dad. You are ready to see Heavenly Dad when he returns, and it's going to be great. As a matter of fact, not only are you ready for Dad, you look a lot like your dad. Your lives are looking more and more like Christ every time I see you. It is undeniable evidence that you are children of God. And lastly, that we should love one another. He talks about the fact that their love and commitment is proof especially in contrast to how the Gnostics treated other Christians, the way they treat each other is evidence of the Spirit abiding in them. Listen, that's quite a gauntlet, is it not? I mean, if your pastor comes up to you and says, I know you're a believer, and let me tell you why. Boom, boom, boom. And he lays out like eight or nine proofs of the fact that I know it, I see it, it's there. That's quite a gauntlet to go through, isn't it? I mean, they should at this point have extreme confidence. Well, John's made it pretty clear. We're children of God. It should be a life that would bring great comfort, right? 
Since all of these things, these descriptions are impossible unless the Spirit of God dwells in you. This is what's been going on historically. This is what he has done. He has spent a lot of time doing that. This is important for you to understand. For years, I saw 1 John preached that it was simply a way to beat you up. Look, your life better look like this or you are not a Christian. But that's the total wrong attitude of 1 John. What 1 John is written as is saying is, this is what I see in you. You are a Christian. It's an encouragement letter, a pep talk. But even with all that, it wasn't quite enough for some of them. <clears throat> he explains, though, that the work of Jesus is greater than their emotions of doubt. We talked about the word for without going all into it. It shouldn't be there in translation. And it's not critical to understand the whole context. But it helps you see what John does is he moves on to another thought. He says, by all this you know that you are children of God. And in translation, the word for shouldn't be there in what he says. When your heart does betray you. When your heart says you're not a child of God. And what he's saying is, on top of all of that, if by some chance there's still a moment where you are filled with this cancer of doubt, there is a way for you to be certain. Even seasoned believers, he says, Learned believers may from time to time struggle with doubt. And he encourages them, even after all that, if your heart still troubles you, if you're still going back and forth, go back to the words of Christ himself and his promises that he saves you, keeps you, and fills you with an abiding spirit of life. He's got your back even when your back doesn't have your back. Even when your heart says, ah, I don't know. John is saying, even in those moments, even though I listed all of these proofs, the confession, ready for dad, you look like dad, you love one another, there's proof in the pudding, you're never leaving, you're experts in grace, even after all that, if your heart still betrays you, go back and just trust that Jesus is not a liar. So that's the history. Let's talk about the spiritual side of this. You know what I love about the gospel? It is designed for doubters. Guys, I'm going to say something. I am so thankful that it is designed for people who doubt. Because frankly, all of us at some point have a foolish heart. All week, I couldn't get the Steve Perry song out of my head, right? I mean, I was just singing it all. Every, I, I wrote it down, foolish heart, and I'm singing it, you know, and it's bad. But, you know, but I just kept thinking about the fact that our hearts, even when we are walking with Jesus, our hearts can betray us and they're foolish. And John describes the times our heart betray us, fill us with doubt, even when we need it to be solid and strong. We are going through a hard time. We're going through a struggle. We reach back for encouragement from our heart, and our heart says, no, I'm discouraged too. It is inevitable that believers experience insecurity about our connection to Heavenly Dad. Do you know why? Because it's a ridiculous miracle anyway. I'm connect me as a sinner. I'm connected. To, it's, it's almost, imp well, it is impossible to believe without the gift of faith. And frankly, our human nature is infested with reasons to doubt God. Unfortunately, our doubt usually happens at the worst moments. 
Not when things are going well and we got plenty of money and a great job and our family's going on, we're not fighting with our spouse. You know, and usually doubt doesn't creep in then. It's when we're struggling with pain, personal tragedy, or even intense personal failure. And our heart can be foolish. Even if all those other evidences are true, sometimes our heart is foolish. But thank God that it is designed for doubters because we have a faithful father. Thank God the gospel is designed to work with emotional, frail, unstable human beings. His ability to love and keep his promises is not dependent, thank God, on how our hearts feel at the moment. <clears throat> it's greater than any game our heart may play. He knows more about our sinfulness than you do. So he knows what it will take to keep us and preserve us. And when our heart condemns us, God promises salvation, and those promises are indispensable as a source of assurance. They remind us of his faithfulness, our connection to him, and all the benefits that this connection brings, including the ability to be bold before him with our requests. And that is why it is crucial, church, for you to learn these promises, to constantly expose yourself to them, to read them and to know them. And so instead of trying to be eloquent and flowery and creative and explaining this to you, I decided to do something that you're never supposed to do as a pastor, which is quote 12 straight verses in a row. <laughs> I picked out they listen. There are literally hundreds of passages about God promising salvation in the Bible. I picked the top 12, and you can't argue. They are the top 12. I've done all the research and science and the math. They are the top 12. So don't come with me. Well, this one's better. No, it's not. It might be. I'm just kidding. First one, John 6, 37 to 40. All the Father gives to me will come to me. Man, thank God for that, right? And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Well, that's a pretty good one. Let's close in prayer. <laughs> nope, I got more. I got more. Ready? John, 1 John 4, 4. We'll be talking about this one next week. You, dear children, are from God. And have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Man, thank God for that one, right? Second Timothy chapter one, verse nine. He saved us and called us to a righteous life or a holy life, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus. Get this before the ages began. Here's a, a promise that's timeless. Think about this, as bad as we are, I promised myself I wouldn't give commentary, but I can't resist on this one. It's so good. If you're a child of God, get this now. I'm going to blow your mind. Maybe offend you. I don't know. As sinful as you are, if you're a child of God, hell was never an option for you. Dude, that rocks. <laughs> what? That's crazy. Look at this one. Psalm 62, 7. My salvation and my honor depend upon religion. Oh, wait, it doesn't say that. It says, depends on God. He is my mighty rock and my refuge. 
Amen? Man, you get, I'm getting fired up. It's like a halftime speech. Hebrews 7.25, Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Two-way intercession, two-way advocate. That's a good one right there. Oh, I got some more. Don't worry. 1 Corinthians 1.8. Aren't these good, though? Isn't this fun? Look at these. For the message of the cross is foolish to those who are, perish to those who are perishing. In other words, to, like, to people like the Gnostics, it looks like idiocy. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The message of the cross is foolish to those who don't understand it. But to those who have been given the gift of faith, it's the bomb. It's awesome. It's the power. 1 Peter chapter 1, 8, 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Well, that's a miracle. Though you, did not see him, though, you did, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You know what Peter's saying is? Look, I believe in him because I've seen him. I walk with him. You guys never met him, and you believe in him. That's a miraculous thing, and I'm a little jealous, frankly. It's awesome. And you are receiving the salvation of your souls. Man, that's a good one. Here's another one. Yes, I have room for one more at the bottom. Don't worry, there's two more left. So <clears throat> Psalm 103, 12, as far as the, I love this one. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. We like to carry him around as a weight around our ankle, right? God says, nope, I took them away. God doesn't even see them as part of you anymore. Man, that's a good one. Job says this, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end, he will stand on the earth. I can't wait till dad comes back. Aren't those amazing promises? Wasn't that so much better than me coming up with a three-point outline? Say, no, Pastor Joe, we really love your outlines. You should do it more often, no? Reading and trusting these biblical promises transforms your heart into the kind that John describes. He says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. When you read these, it's hard to let your heart deceive you or betray you. Yeah, heart, you say that, but God says this. Yeah, heart, I know you think that, but here's what my God says. God won, heart zero. I mean, think about it. If you aren't spending any time in God's word, reading amazing stuff like that, no wonder you're doubting. I mean, that alone is pretty good. But of course, I have more. I have the uh, spiritual side of this today. Oh, there's more verses. How about that? I didn't realize that. I did. I'm just joking, right? <laughs> Praise be to the Lord, to God our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. There we go. Constant. Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. There's some transformation for you. 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So now let's talk about killing doubt. 
So I'm going to give you three ways today that I want to leave you with about how you can kill doubt in your own life. Because I know some of you are struggling with it. I got a lot of messages this week in Facebook Messenger. I can't wait to hear what you say about doubt. I got like six or seven people. Their names are, just kidding, I'm not going to go through. (laughs) Some of you said you really need to hear this this week. Some of you right now maybe didn't send me a message, but you are struggling with doubt today. You know why? Because our human hearts are prone to wander, guys. Our human hearts are prone to forget and lie to us and betray us. And with that in mind, I'm going to lay out for you three practical tools that we can use starting right now today. You can use to kill doubt when it creeps up and rears its ugly head. The first step, the first tool is I want you to look back. This is what John is telling his readers to do for the last three chapters. Because when you look back, you can be assured of what God has done. And you begin to take inventory of how he has transformed you. Yes, you still struggle, but you're not the person you were 10 years ago. Five years ago, maybe some of you six months ago. Maybe two weeks ago. Look back. See what he's done. And we don't celebrate, this is important, we're not celebrating this looking back as some personal spiritual achievement. It's not that at all. All we are doing is taking inventory of the evidence of God working in our heart and life. This is who I am naturally. This is what God has made me to be today. Seeing how our lives have changed, how our relationships with people have changed, right? Our relationships get healthier, how our personal holiness, and by the way, when I say personal holiness, I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about direction. When we see all this, when we see the evidence of our love for those in our lives that also love and trust the same gospel, the same Savior, the same cross, that struggle with the same burdens of doubt, when we see that when we are struggling, we are drawn to those people, Looking back can be a great encouragement, can it not? Yeah, I'm really struggling today. But I know where I was and what God is doing. Even just compared to yesterday, maybe. Some of you might have just began your new journey of trust and faith. You can kill doubt with this one, even if it's only a day. So that's the first tool. Look back. Sometimes that's not enough, right? So the other tool that I want to give you is what we just talked about. I want you to trust God. Doesn't that sound great? Doesn't that sound like a church program? Just trust God. That's church talk, right? Pastor Joe, I'm really struggling with this. Well, just trust God. Well, I'm going to give some color to it. Let me explain. Because you have to first, before you can trust God, you better be familiar with and exposed to God's promises to his children. During those times that we do struggle with doubt, even after looking at all the evidence of his transformation in our life, trusting God's promises will be crucial for assurance and peace. Because God knows our shortcomings. John said that in today's passage. He knows them better than we know them. That's why he gives us so many reassurances in his word. Hundreds of them. It was designed for people who keep forgetting that God saved them. Remember I saved you? Oh, yeah, that's right. Thanks, God. I appreciate it. 
But sometimes looking back isn't enough. Sometimes remembering the promises isn't enough. Matter of fact, sometimes if it gets to that point, maybe it's too late and we're already wounded. So I'm going to give you a third one. I want to talk about running from sin. Running from sin is choosing to abide with God and his people over the world. In my um, social media campaign this week, I wrote up there, the best way to overcome doubt is to run from sin. By the way, I should be getting a lot more likes and shares on this stuff. <laughs> you people, expect, millennials, I'm dependent on you for this stuff. Some of these other people, they're... <laughs> you get my point. You need to be sharing and you need to be liking. Come on, people. And if you're not following me, shame on you. But the point is, the best way to overcome doubt is to run from sin. It's the first line of defense against doubt. I'm not talking about trying to earn God's favor. We know that comes through the gospel. But here's what I can tell you as your pastor. Sin is the first aggravator of doubt. And the first line of defense against doubt is to run from sinfulness. Not flirt with it. Not keep one hand on it while you're looking away. It's to run from it. To get some separation from it and you. Because continuing to strive for personal righteousness and unity with God's people. Again, not perfection, but direction. Continuing to strive for righteousness and unity are results of, listen carefully now, the cross and the gift of faith. Being able to run from sin is a life that displays affection and appreciation for what God has done in transforming you. Because let me, let me explain, the ability to look back and to trust God flow out of habitually running from sin. All three of these tools work together to prove to ourselves that the presence of God's spirit is abiding in us. And all three ways working together provide overwhelming evidence of faith even when your human heart and emotions betray you. Because our salvation is not a feeling. It is a fact. Even though many times churches are designed to create that feeling, that's not what saves you. It's the fact that saves you. A feeling can be a result of it, but it is not the cause. Of course there will be moments when we fail. So we stop. We look back in praise to what God has done. Then we remember in the current and trust his promises that are timeless. Because here's what we know. Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Just by the way, that was one of the verses in our passage today. John says that whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Why is that, guys? Because God knew he does needed to design salvation for hearts that would struggle with doubt. Aren't you glad he did? Amen. Heavenly Dad, I thank you so much that you know us so well. 
Thank you that you know that we are going to struggle. You know that our heart and our emotions will betray us. You know sometimes we'll forget your promises. We know that. And so thank you so much for setting up a salvation process that is designed for people who constantly doubt. Thank you that our salvation is a fact, not a feeling. Thank you that it is an act of you and not some sort of achievement by us. And when we do struggle with doubt, God, help us to have wisdom to be able to look back and point to evidence of your presence in our life. Help us recall and remember the promises that you have made to us in your word and give us the courage and the discipline that comes from faith to run from sin. Lord, help us to remove the things in our life that cause doubt because we want to thrive and abide with you.